0: You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of Flashofsteel.com, coming to you live on tape delay uh, from E3 2009 Los Angeles. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today is only one of my regular panelists, LA resident and Hollywood star Tom Chick. Uh, Hello, everyone.
1: Uh, If I can get anyone a coffee, let me know. I'll just run to the kitchen and grab it. We're a little
0: far from your kitchen.
1: Just, I'll, I'll do it though. If anybody wants a coffee, I'll do it.
0: We're happy to have with us today uh, two developers uh, from Paradox Studios the one from Nitro Studios, the one from Paradox. We have Johan Anderson, the lead designer of the Europa Universalis series and Hearts of Iron 3. Say hi, Johan. Yeah, hi, everybody. And Kim Suarez of Nitro Studios, who is the lead developer on East India Company. Hi, Kim, and I would like to have a cup of coffee. Uh, I'll be right back. <laughs> Hurry! Hey, yeah, <in>. I'm back. <laughs> Fast forward. Uh, so, we're here to talk about uh, two big games coming, two big strategy games coming out this year, two of the historical strategy games that I'm most looking forward to Hearts of Iron 3, the third World War II grand strategy game to come out of Paradox and East India Company, which is an economic uh, trading naval war sim with boats and spices and tea and all that stuff that I love. Uh, But I want to start with Hearts of Iron 3, and here's a question uh, for you, Johan. Correct me if I'm mistaken, but Hearts of Iron 3 is an easy business decision. It is your (laughs) best-selling series. Uh, Those are the games that uh, people respond to. It's your biggest hit. So I can understand the business decision to do it. What were the design challenges that drew you to come back to Hearts of Iron 3?
2: Well, we could have done an even better business decision to make it uh, more like a 2.5 game and uh, cash in and make better graphics and that kind of stuff. But the reason why we made it as we're doing now with the current design was that we basically took every concept we had on Hearts of Iron uh, 2 and Hearts of Iron 1 and since we're moving to a different uh, engine, we basically had to read this, uh, rewrite the code anyway for the game. So at the same time, we redesigned every uh, concept of the gameplay, basically from scratch. And that means we had to like uh, throw away some things and like uh, have clean slates and new ideas. And this was a really interesting uh, uh, design process. where I think we spent like two or three years just talking design before we started on the project.
1: Now, can I ask, what, like, when you talk about like starting with a clean slate like that, what were some of the things early on that you were like, we want to get rid of this? Like, were there were there any candidates from Hearts of Iron One or Two where you were like, we want this out of the game, like that you were glad to be able to get rid of?
2: Well, uh, I never really liked how we handled units in the original game. It's kind of like uh, it was too much European socialist feeling of like you group units. It didn't feel like a World War Two game really. So this was one of the first things we designed was getting the unit hierarchy system with like theatres and then armed groups attached to them, etc., down to single divisions.
0: I saw uh, you run through a brief demo of Hearts of Iron 3 earlier today, and I was really struck uh, by how deep you can bury into that military system. I mean, you have divisions and you have so many. I think you have a headquarter in every province, it looked like. Uh, It looks like a real war game and not just a grand strategy game.
2: Yeah, that's kind of like was our goal, but also, now do you get like overwhelmed with like uh, hundreds and hundreds of units and even like getting in to see every little brigade and regiment inside each division, but it's not really, it looks like a lot, but you still don't have, what do you say, it should be like, you don't have to like go into the nitty gritty details unless you right. want to so you have like the automation controls like um, if you feel like oh I I prefer to play on army level in a war game then you just put on AI control on playing on army level and you just give orders to the army headquarters and they will handle actually construction below and you can set like not construction, uh, movement below, Uh, uh, I keep mixing up words all the time, (laughs) Uh, sorry, Uh, well, and you can decide on pretty much every level you want to uh, have the AI control at, you can set it from the start if it's like theater down to like division level, then you can also go in and say like, okay, I'm perfectly fine with having like the theater AI control, on the western front but on the uh, eastern front that's, uh, and now I'm, su- I'm assuming we're playing Germany which somehow most people that play World War <laughs> Two games tend to end up <laughs> I don't know why but okay, sidetracked sorry uh, we get, but on the eastern front you might want to have like uh, se- let's say armor group south gets like you have that armor group on the AI control, but then in the center you might want to go down and like have the corpse on the AI control. they can decide like which level you feel comfortable with. and You can change that uh, quite a lot on the fly. Of course, the AI might want uh, some hours and days to adapt its new plans if you change it, so, yeah.
1: It seems like it's a sort of a, a scary thing, uh, not just for you as a designer, but for players to do, to sort of, in a way, turn off entire sections of the gameplay, to sort of like hand it over, take this leap of faith to let the AI take over uh, an
2: entire front. Uh, isn't that a little scary, you think? Well, I think some players will never ever trust an AI. I mean, that, that's the kind of people that, uh, thought, uh, that want to like, micromanage everything. I'm not the person that like to micromanage, and I'm, when I'm sitting and playing in, in our games, I don't mind if I get inflation a, a few percent in year 3, I don't mind if I waste a few IC and hard um, it's not the end of the world, I've, I've, I won't have fun, not micromanage details. <laughs>
0: You're far too laid
2: back
1: for a hardcore strategy gamer, Johan. That's
0: <laughs> it's a
1: Scandinavian
0: social welfare system. It keeps them all, you know, yeah. very relaxed. Um, the one thing that, that... There are a lot of things that really struck me with the demo. I mean, of course, the, the, all the new map modes, because I'm obsessed with maps. Uh, but the objective system, how you can... Not just, you know, give the AI a theater to control. You tell it, okay, take these units and I want you to get to Marseille and I want you to get to Rome and, you you know, find, find your path.
1: I didn't do it. I just said, okay I should point out too. Uh, Troy has seen the game, I have not. So I'm I'm the guy who didn't do his homework who's coming in late to class without a pencil. Uh, typical. So, yeah. <laughs> so tell me you can you can like lay out objectives for the
2: AI like that. Yeah, that's kind of like how you hand over the AI. You can just uh, let it do whatever it wants. Oh. But if you give it objectives it will try to fulfill those. So like you can set as many this as you want or like you want to, you can tell the stances if it should be offensive or defensive or just prepare or... Total Blitz uh, Maniac. That's uh, our our name for the most offensive. is like blitzing. It's uh, just a funny joke for uh, World War Two guys. Uh, my big concern about that is, I mean, World War Two is a
0: war of fronts, and the best Hearts of Iron players, you know, know how to keep a cohesive front and avoid being encircled and to encircle the enemy. Um, is there a risk with setting the objectives that the AI pushes towards the objectives and gives these leaves these great big holes
2: for the Russian jugger not to push through Uh, the idea is not just to attack the objectives the idea is that these objectives should be taken Um, so how the AI does it it's just not move all troops to the objectives it's trying to like keep front lines keep so that the supply lines are not uh, uh, weak and it has to take into account all things to it's not just reaching objectives they have to hold the objectives as well I mean, also, objectives are not just offensive in nature. You can take, like, defensive objectives as well. Like, uh, do you want to fall back and keep a line uh, further back or so? And
1: now, describe how this would work. Is it like a menu of things where you choose, like, the orders that you give the AI? Uh, Describe this for people who, like me, who haven't seen it yet. Uh,
2: Basically, you click on your headquarters uh, on the map. Uh, If you highlight the... No, you click on the a button in a unit interface when a unit is selected, a flag t- toggles from uh, uh, grey to green and you get a little extra information that tells it's under AI, then you, in there you can switch a stance with a mouse click from like one to f- there's four stances. If you want to add objectives, instead of uh, giving movement orders on the map when you right click, you add and remove objectives. And if you're using shift, you just tell it the accesses of where it should advance. If you want to do, like, okay, these are the objectives, but we want uh, an arc, or we want to have that one first or so on. So there's a lot of, it's easy interface. Right,
1: right. Uh, so you talk about some of the, so I asked you before, sort of from a negative perspective, like what were some of the things, we're, like, you're happy to get rid of. Now, let me sort of put it this way. What were some of the things that, that like, you were like, okay, this isn't, Broken, so we're not going to try to fix it. Like, were, were there parts of Hearts of Iron two that you just felt like you lifted wholesale and dropped into Hearts
2: of Iron three because they worked so well? And most of the production uh, system, basically, in there, it's the same. You produce units, you have your resources of. Uh rare materials, metal, energy, and uh, oil. Actually, we split the oil into two resources. One, it's, the original is crude oil, and then you have fuel. The reasons for that was we wanted to separate what is uh, logistical needs and what this production is production resources. But this, it's basically the production system with industrial capacity is basically 99% the same.
1: And uh, are there? Are there? Uh, I seem to recall talk of the tech, re- the research system being different. Is that? Uh, are there crazy things you're doing with the new research system?
2: Oh yeah, the research system has been completely revamped. We wanted to go back more to the Hot iron one, where you have like more flexibility in how your troops become, not just researching one better infantry. There you have like uh, about six or seven technologies that affect the infantry, like. Uh, better uh, soft attack, better hard attack, better defensiveness better toughness, better uh, organization and there's like these are different texts and you may not elect to research all and then you have like different the ones that you research and one other aspect of these technologies are that uh, most of the technologies that uh, gives bonuses to a vari- to uh, uh, any variable of a unit are endless. Which means that you can get you get a new model every second year that you can research, so you can constantly like research and improve your rifles or guns or so, and you never run out of things to research. It's slightly more realistic that way, I think.
0: Uh, for listeners, there's a whole series of developer diaries on the Official Paradox forums, and they've been going on for months, and they go into a lot of detail, and with screenshots on some of the changes. And one that particularly interested me were the changes to the diplomatic system, how you have the push and the pull of the different alliances. Could you go into some detail as to why you made the changes you did to the alliance system and how the diplomatic system, well, how was it different, and why did you make those changes?
2: I wanted to get the game where there's actually a diplomatic game in that I wanted to see like, I I wanted a triangle where you see like where countries are positioned in uh, uh, communist, democratic um, and fascist, the final one, uh, where they are and I wanted to see like okay if uh, Germany spends like Enough to have like five countries that can influence, and Britain can only influence three. Then um, maybe Germany locks out the free uh, Britain is trying to influence, and you have to like settle which one are you influencing, and they're drawing, and then you may have a minister that's better at influencing, so it gets the like uh, maneuvering of uh, countries.
1: When you, uh, as the game progresses, how? Uh uh, a historical. Have you changed how a historical it can get uh, in terms of what countries align with whom and how the war progresses?
2: Uh... I'm not sure if there's a good answer to that because uh, Hot Sharing too 2 was pretty uh, historical in who allied with who and who ended up where, etc. But, I mean, you're not going to see the U.S. become fascist uh, in any game, basically, because they're firmly entrenched in, like, the democratic, they're aligned there, and it's not that easy to get them to drift. And uh, it's, it's a lot of work, and uh, I don't think it's that easy. But you'll see some changes and so on.
1: Okay, I have a question about, uh, there's a, there was an old SSI game called uh, Clash of Steel, maybe? it was a, Yeah, Clash of Steel, great,
0: yeah. great war game.
1: Yeah, a strategic level, like World War II war game, sort of the, similar to the scale you guys are going on, but more abstract. One of the things in Clash of Steel that, that it paid off to do, I think it's Germany, I don't know if you know about this, was to uh, go through the East Front, go through Turkey, down through Palestine, work your way across... North Africa, across the Strait of Gibraltar, to do this sort of clockwise circuit around the Mediterranean, which is crazy and ahistorical and makes no sense. Could one in Hearts of Iron Three do something like that? What if Germany tried to go through Turkey and the Middle
2: East? Uh, we have a new logistic model, which make it... Uh I don't think anyone has tried it, but considering, uh, like, the amount of supplies that flows and there's higher tax and costs from the longer the distance, and then you have to go from low infrastructure on the way, uh, you Work. could probably get a single you could probably supply maybe a single company somewhere in Morocco that way Uh, but I don't think it's feasible uh,
1: those things Uh, I'm curious when you guys like test this and when you put things out there do you ever see crazy things like that happening like where where there's there's testers and the game is still in its early states and people are actively trying to break it to see what needs to be fixed Uh, does crazy stuff like that happen a lot?
2: Yeah we've seen people in the previous games that invaded the South africa with japan by marching <laughs> uh, that was an art trying to be uh, we also had someone that basically now some versions ago when the uh before the front day i was on the level it's now but basically it was standing still at times so you could just march troops around it and encircle and just paint them up with just single headquarters <laughs> and then it was like uh there was a bug we had that was fixed a week or two ago where you could pretty much like uh spam new headquarters for free because there was no shake for the manpower cost so you kept like, okay, I spawned I moved one troop in here and then they just create a lot of new headquarters there and you spawn like that that was a funny bug
1: And uh, how far along is Hearts of Iron?
2: Uh, well, we're supposed to be out in August so we're about two months from uh, being in stores so about one month until we print the game
1: now you guys have had a lot of practice doing these kind of games. As far as like the number of games you've done, what, what, what is this? Like eight,
0: nine? Uh, three Europa Universalis games, Crusader okay. Kings, Victoria. Five. Hearts of Iron six, one, two, and three. EU Rome. Nine. And the expansion. Ten, the expansion. Uh, two for Victoria, Victoria. Two Thrones, of Rome's, the North. Right, which were terrible. Um, and so over a dozen. Lots of games. A bunch of expansions. A of Some of which we, were almost games. Yeah. Uh, Considering the size. I mean, Innominay and... I,
2: mean, I think we've spent more development time on Innominay than on EU2, so... Oh.
0: Well, So what I'm curious
1: about is, uh, in in the pantheon of all the games you guys have done, uh, where, where like is this is this going pretty smoothly for you guys now? Or are there are there unique problems here? And it's I guess being a sequel, it, it it's invariably smoother than doing something like uh, the first EU or Victoria. Uh, what? How how would you describe this design uh, process? Like, how easy is it for you guys?
2: It's not the hardest. It's not the easiest. I think the easier is always making an expansion because then you have like something focused and you know you're just adding stuff and having fun but uh, like when you're doing stuff like this you need to get like all these big systems working together and this is hard and this is like the major franchise you're always like worried like will all this fit together, will it work out fine but I mean it's been games that's been like easier and it's been games that's been harder to get together, but sequels are slightly easier than... I mean, we did... uh, What's the name of the game, the last one? I mean, Rome. That was like a new game, and... uh, It worked out fine in some ways, but in others it did not do very well, because it didn't have the lasting power of our previous games. That's the things you don't notice until the game have been, like, played. (laughs) or not, And not played by yourself for your testers, because you get blind. But when customers realize that there are some. So before we move over to Kim, uh, how's the progress on Crusader Kings 2 coming? uh i don't think we'll have any we have any plans for even for Crusader kings 2 i mean uh, oh you're breaking my heart i'm, 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 very, I'm very sorry I, i'd love to do it i mean we got pl- plenty of designs for games that are going along but uh, i can tell you now that the next game we're doing is not the uh, Crusader kings 2 sadly i you know what your next i mean you must know what your next game is I know what the next game is, but if I'm if I'm telling uh, anyone before the announcement, I'm gonna get like killed by Frederick, and then the is gonna shock my heart to pieces, and then we don't we don't want to lose. No, <laughs> no, no, because no one else does these games. Uh, now, do, you, do you get guys like me and Troy who are like like I
1: don't know if you would say this like Crusader Kings is easily my favorite thing. You guys? Yeah, yeah I don't
0: th- I don't think it's Paradox's best game, but it's easily my favorite.
1: Yeah. Do you are guys like us sort of freaks, or do you get do you no, hear I, that a
2: lot? I get a lot of people that. Uh, Uh, That like Crusader Kings and lots of people do it, and I also get people that come up to me and say, "You have to do Victoria too." and What kind of freaks say that? Uh, there's a, there's a uh, Bruce of, Garrick. There's a there's a lot of people that love that uh, game. Uh, personally, it's, it was not my favorite. I preferred Crusader Kings or Victoria Two. No, I actually don't even know Victoria that well. But why uh, why do people like
1: that? Is it the setting or were there uh, unique mechanics? It
2: unique that. mechanics and unique settings, it's like it's a both political and economical. Okay. And uh, it's not much. It's not war, a war game. It's more like political, economical simulator of the nineteenth century.
0: And if you really want a deep, hardcore, number-crunching experience, Victoria gives that to you over and over, and it is a game for people who want to study. And there are people out there who just really like studying and balancing and trying to get their infrastructure up, and Uh,
2: Victoria rewards that. I mean, compare Victoria to Arch Ryan. Arch Ryan has a lot of details and stats, but they like uh, the knowledge and the gameplay you have to do. I mean, Arch Ryan could be like a Wii game (laughs) in comparison to uh, Victoria. So you're
1: There could be a Wii port of Hearts of Iron. Here's our exclusive.
2: Enough for what <laughs> do but okay. Well, waggle to shoot the Stukas. <laughs> oh, that's a good. Uh,
1: <laughs> well, it is funny. Even just saying the name makes me want to, like, I'm like, oh, I should go home and reinstall. As a matter of fact, I'm sure I have at least one computer where Crusader Kings is still installed. Yeah, that's one of those that just doesn't come off the hard drive. Oh,
0: there's like, a multiplayer game we can do for the podcast.
1: Yeah, I've never played Crusader Kings
0: multiplayer. And we we, could, you we could all play dukes in like the French monarchy and try to become king. I don't joke about that. You're making me think it's a cool idea.
2: I would totally do that. yeah, and Then, then you start playing, and what's going to happen is that you you get you get your, a nice hair that's going to inherit lot of things. Then he'll accidentally slip on a dagger, and the fingers will all point to someone else's character, uh, not, not me. That. That's not <laughs> me. I that's what made that great. Like, yeah. I, I always I always let the
0: mongoloid child heir become king. I never <laughs> murdered my child. <laughs> I'm Not to else is. I murdered somebody else's. Other people's children, you know, my, 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 my grandchildren, that's something <laughs> different. <coughs> so, Kim, uh,. Most of our listeners are very familiar, I think, at least with Hearts of Iron by name, if they haven't actually played it. East India Company, though, I'm sure is new and novel. And I ran into a colleague today, and I showed him the East India Company shirt, and he said, is a game called East India Company? Wait, wait, he was very I, excited. There are East India Company shirts? <laughs> yeah, you know, how on. Over there. Oh, awesome. whoa, there are East India Company shirts.
1: Oh, look at this. This is sweet. I normally couldn't care less about eat free swag, but this... So just to describe for people, it has the Paradox logo on the back, and it's got crossed... I know,
3: Games logo on the back as well.
1: Nice. A plug for you as well, I'll get that in there. Uh, and it's got the crossed flintlock pistols, uh, an old script saying, fight, manage, rule, which are three things I love to
0: do. That's, you know, that fight, manage, rule, that that's marriage, and East India Company. Uh, so tell us about the game.
3: Uh, well, so basically, uh, we have a game that combines uh, both trading and warfare. And usually, usually, you have those subsetting games, but in separate games. Well, like trading is in many tycoon games, and of course, war in uh, war games. But uh, Eastern Company is unique in that way that you have both both elements in one game. And that's because the historical background, the historical Eastern Companies actually were trading companies that didn't act too nice. They all the way to East Indies and back with each other.
0: Okay, so uh, why did you choose this period? I mean, East Indy, the uh, age of sale and the East India Company is a fascinating period of history. But I'm always curious as to why designers choose particular settings. Are you is there, is it the trading? Is it the imperialism? Is it the mercantile stuff? Do you just love spices?
3: Uh, I don't love too spicy food, uh, but that wasn't the reason, uh, one way or other, Uh, but we were thinking about what kind of games should we make, and we were thinking about sailing ships, and then we were thinking about uh, what kind of setting we should uh, create for the game, because usually sailing ship games, uh, which have naval battles, for example, wars during that era didn't uh, like last so long in the um, in the naval front, so we have just like few battles. But then our then uh, lead programmer was reading Wilbur Smith novels about this in a company, and when I did some studying, I immediately realized that this like great stuff for games because I mean. Huge trading companies with their uh, right to bring their own money, standing armies, army fleet, uh, naval fleets, and I mean, trading and warfare in one package, and it's even historical.
1: Now, uh, again, I've not done my homework. I know that Paradox has put out a, a preview build of this, yeah? which I haven't looked at it yet, but I believe, isn't the preview build mainly just naval combat?
3: Uh, yes, uh, actually we are uh, just released here the second uh, preview build, okay. which allows you to play the campaign mode as well. But we just wanted to give you small chunks to... First, the naval battles, tactical level, and then the whole game.
1: So then, describe how the, the what, what is the game? So it, it's is this a real-time strategy game? Would you say?
3: Is it a grand strategic level game? How would you describe this? I don't know. Trading war game sounds funny, but that's what it is basically. Uh, everything uh, basically, we have three different game levels: um, strategic level, strategies funny bird for me, but that level uh, you operate in the world map and it's just like, uh, you tell your fleets what to do, where to go, what to buy um, and then we have tactical level uh, with all the battles and both of these levels are in real time so even the grand level is in real time which is usually turn-based in many games and then the third level in the game is port view where you manage stuff like you upgrade buildings if you want the port, you buy cargo to your ships you build new ships and you also, uh, you enter in diplomatic negotiations With the other companies. And now, uh, when someone sits down to play, will they spend most of their time
1: fighting battles? Uh, Will they spend most of their time on the strategic map? Uh, How does the sort of playtime break down?
3: Um, Well, it depends a bit on the player. I mean, uh, for me, for example, I spend most time in the strategic level and the port view, managing things and building ships and uh, doing like yeah. planning things ahead. Uh, some people just like to run through that part and just uh, play the tactical naval battles more. Uh, but also, I mean, you can play in India Company as port trading game if you want, or you can even try, at least try, because uh, you don't have to uh, attack enemy ships if you don't want to. They're going to have a cube, maybe, but you can't. Also, you can also resolve the battles if you don't want to go to the tactical level, and just like more detailed trading and uh, diplomacy.
0: Um, In the, uh, both in an online video and earlier today, you emphasized that when you're playing this India company, you're not playing England, you're not playing France, you're playing a company that belongs to them. Uh, but they are you know, as you also said they 're powers under themselves. they have their own armies and they fight their own wars and you know they do their own stuff. So what can they not do? What is the distinction you 're making between like, if, why is it not England? What, what can I not do that I could do if I was to say England? What are the limitations on playing a company instead of a nation? if you can you know raise armies and declare war? How is that different uh, from playing you know so I can't conquer Paris. That doesn't mean that I'm not England. It just means I can't conquer Paris. I can still declare war and I'll still I know engage diplomacy.
1: I'll bet you could then, like, fight other English companies. If you were just playing England, yeah, like, is that a good...
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, there's uh, one company per nation. Uh, so, for example, if I play the British company... Uh, as you said, I don't uh, invade Paris or anything like that, and usually the fighting tends to be in the more in the East Indian side of the map or in the Africa. So again, uh, that's actually what happened in history, history, so the European powers, the companies didn't fight in their home ground, they went to the other side of the world to kill each other.
0: Uh, do you ever does the does a government play any role at all i like, can it say look we're at war with
3: france so to hell with all of your deals can it uh, yeah crown can make demands and uh, you uh, might want to obey them uh, for example if you are in i mean and that can result in some um, unfortunate situation for example i mean uh, If you see that uh, you are a friend with the Dutch company for example and then you might get a message from the Crown saying that um, we don't like the Dutch anymore and you you should attack them. Okay, to hell with your plan and Crown wants something or the other way around, the Crown might say that um, the relationship between the two nations with France and Britain has improved and the companies are not in good enough terms so you must uh, make remedy of that situation.
1: Now, I'm curious, so so I hear you talk about this, and this makes me think of two other games that I love, and I'm curious if you have any points of commonality, or were at all influenced by either of these games. So let me throw a couple of names at you. Uh, you look like a pretty young guy, you may not know these, but uh, there's an old QQP game called Merchant Prince, do you know
3: that one at all? Yeah, I know that one, I'm not sure if i played that a lot, I have played it, but not that much.
1: And it was re-released as a Machiavelli, uh, So uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and,
0: and re-released as Merchant Prince a few years ago.
1: Yeah. Okay, so it's been around the block, several different incarnations. Uh, And uh, so hearing you describe that, I think, okay, it's kind of like that game, maybe. And then I also think of uh, Sid Meier's Pirates games. Uh, Do do you draw any influence or do you see any points of commonality with East India Company in those games?
3: I mean, well, the obvious one, of course, is like the naval battles and the whole age of Sail thing. But I mean, uh, I have played, like, I don't know how many games and our team has played hundreds of games. And I think... Uh, even unconsciously, we have picked things from several different games. I was just today uh, talking about uh, Johan about
2: the uh, what game was that? I mean that actually you released back in yeah, the... Hobbit, Yeah, it was a Swedish name. It was a German uh, trading game. That what, called... what again? Hobart yeah, Wolves of the Sea or something, um, in the Swedish name, and there was a Finnish name that I can't pronounce as well, and we distributed it in Scandinavia and published it there, but I don't remember what the German name was, but it was... It was similar, but the game came completely forgot ten years later.
3: Yeah, but I mean, in the, I just uh, I actually reviewed that game back in, like, I think it was 1996 or something, and then I just uh, recently uh, dig through the old reviews uh, from one of game, Finnish game magazines, and I found that review, and it was like one to one, basically like, there's eerie you know, like similarities between our game and that game. So are you hereby confessing
1: that you've plagiarized someone else's game?
3: No, I mean, maybe unconsciously on a dream or something, I don't know.
1: Well, uh, I... So I, I want to hear more about the game, but I also uh, would... You say that you reviewed this other game. I'd like to point out that you mentioned to me earlier you used to be a game journalist. You used to be a reviewer, or a writer. You still do write about other games. Uh, so you probably uh, like... More so than other developers, I think' have, like played a lot of games uh, like obviously this has helped you I presume uh, you come from the background of someone who knows a lot of video games right
3: yeah I mean I have well games has, have been my passion since like I think I was five years old when I got my first uh, some I don't know with video pack system or something like that and yeah I still review games uh, and because of that I play about I don't know maybe 60 games a year and yeah it's like invaluable asset as a developer to play games.
1: So then tell me about the transition how is it that you go from hey I'm a guy who sort of writes about games who plays a lot of games to like hey I have this idea to make one I mean we all have ideas about making games but what made you actually like sit down gather other people and make a game?
3: I don't know, I mean, I was in, uh, actually I founded a gaming website back in 2000, and then it went under in a couple of years later, and I was, when I was briefly un- unemployed, I was thinking, okay, I can do something else, but if I'm ever going to make games, I, this is the moment I have to, like, really try to do that. And then, it was like half a year, We had a, I went to a company which was making multimedia, Nitro FX, and we started making demo of East the Company, and then a few years later we got our publishing deal, and here we are now. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and how far along is
3: this? When is this being released? Sorry? When is this being released? How far along? Uh, East India Company is being released well, less than two months, 28th of uh, June, July. Okay
0: so we get one of these games in july and another one in august
3: yeah a few weeks apart
0: so i'm not going on vacation this summer
1: (laughs) uh... are you doing uh... is there any multiplayer in eastern india company or is it a
3: single player only game uh, there is multiplayer. Uh, you can play the tactical naval battles in multiplayer uh, up to with up to 12 players. Uh, you have three different modes. Uh, you can have uh, Last Man Floating, which is basically Last Man Standing. Uh, no, sorry, Last Ship Floating, yes. <laughs> and kind of like Deathmatch, you have a team version of that. And then there is Domination, which is uh, like you have these small boys in the area, and you have just sail close enough, and then they will tr- start ticking time for you your side, uh, whichever side gets enough time, uh, will win the game. And with well, multiplayer, doesn't unfortunately uh, extend to the campaign play because we have, I mean, the game time doesn't advance while you're in port. So we, it's technically impossible sure. to have multiplayer in that. Right. Right.
1: Uh, when, uh, uh, oh, wait, never, never mind. Go ahead, Troy. Um. Uh,
0: uh, well, I mentioned earlier today that I really like the art style. Uh, I loved how stylized the map was, um, how big the cities are. How you didn't attempt to. This is not the real world you're trying to capture. This is. These ports are important, and they're important, so they're huge, and that's pretty much. Is that? because it conscious going in that when you design, when you do the artwork, when you design the map, what you're trying to communicate?
3: Uh, yeah, because I mean, we tried. Lots, lots of different sizes of CDs and should they have peers or nuts and stuff like that. Uh, but as you said, it's like more like, uh, I don't find the right word, but I mean, it's like symbol- yeah, symbolic level uh, for the game. So it doesn't be that like 100% accurate, but we just want to, but at, at the same time we wanted to make something because you're going to spend hours looking at it, so it has to be uh, pleasing to die to some extent. And the map stops at India. You don't get to go into the Far East Indies. Uh, you, no, you don't get to go in Japan. It's basically like I think or, it's easier. Or, or you can get into Indonesia. You can. Do, is, is Jakarta there? Uh, the easternmost city is Aceh. I mean, okay. I think it's that's pretty good. present-day uh, Indonesia or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> I'm not wrong. Yeah. Uh, I, tell me
1: a little about making a uh, naval battle engine. Uh, it seems like uh, like that that's a distinct challenge. I mean, these aren't you can't do like necessarily simple graphics with something like that. I mean, you've got all kinds of complicated things with like, like waves and water and ships, and do you even try to put men on the ships, for instance. Like, what, what are the challenges of doing something that's sort of this historical and that requires like
3: elaborate graphics? Uh, uh, yeah, we do. Uh, yeah, you haven't seen the game yet. Uh, uh, yeah, we do have uh, men men on the ship. Uh, we have eleven different ship types. And one thing, actually, we are quite proud of is is the water because we have uh, every, everything from small waves to huge waves during storms, and the ships like um, bounce through the waves. And I mean, it's the tactical level is visually the most impressive part of the game. Uh, and I don't know, I mean, you can have maximum of five ships in your fleet, so it's kind of like um, there is this other game that came around, uh, came, was launched during... Uh Spring, uh, with naval battles. I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah I, know, I don't remember the name. But, uh, I mean, it's that game takes kind of like different approach. There's like tens and tens of ships, and um, but we have like fewer ships, but more like intimate and hands-on uh, approach to the game. And one thing in particular is that you can take direct control of any of your ships and like fire cannons manually and turn the ship around and we like see the cannonballs flying right at your face. Well, here's another
1: thing I'm curious about, and again, I I haven't seen it. I'm sure you could demonstrate this easily. Uh, What is there for the player to do? If You've only got five ships. Historically, these ships sort of move very slowly. They don't fire necessarily that often. Uh, What's the player's task load while he's playing the game?
3: Um, well, one thing is that because we have only uh, five ships, you have time to uh, light, uh, uh, concentrate. Uh, you can play the game in normal RTS fashion, just to, like um, select units and give them waypoints or tell them to attack the enemy. Um, basically you can take different approaches. Usually I do it so that I, in the RTS mode I just give my ships some orders like attack that enemy and then I take one ship uh, to my personal command. And Also, I mean, because we are trading game, and it's everything. Everything is about money. Uh, so more more important than destroying the enemy ship is that you may board them and steal their cargo, because everything revolves around money. So that's one thing unique in Eastern companies, I said, and I hope that the players get it, because usually in the war games it's just like. Uh, you have your units and you should attack and take territory but uh, everything here is everything comes to the profit eventually here
0: So what can you say about the diplomatic uh, core of the game? I mean I noted that, that uh, you don't have for example, native states to extort, you can't go to the Hosa and southern Africa and you know, steal their cattle and force them to give you diamonds or put a gun to the Maharaj's head and that, you know, you can conquer his port but they aren't active players. It's just, it, Europe is
3: the center of action. Uh, yeah, well, the European powers are the center of the action. I mean, I, it was kind of like, uh, I don't know politically correct way to do the game basically maybe uh, so you can take over African ports, uh, Indian ports, uh, and the native forces might uh, invade or attack the ports uh, but they're not like act- active part in the game that way so it's mainly Europe- it's basically only the European powers that are fighting against each other. So how active are the AI powers in diplomacy with each other? Uh, they do make diplomatic pacts and alliances, and they fight against each other. And we are—I'm quite proud of the diplomacy myself because um, there is much more happening in the diplomatic side, kind of like under the hood, than the player might not even notice what's happening. And you can, like, I mean, there's huge amount of data that we gather uh, between different companies. I mean, inter interrelationship if, if I'm. Uh, they're basically like uh, enemy of my enemy is my friend, and all the other, I mean, you can exchange your ports, you can give up ports, you can extort the other companies if you're powerful enough, uh, you can suck up to them if you are the weakling and want to, like, uh, keep them in nice mood. So there's lots of things you can to, do through diplomacy if you want.
1: I have a question for both Johan and uh, Kim. So we're here at E3. As you can hear, there's like the, I guess that's rock band or whatever in the background. And uh, this is a big, loud, glitzy show. Uh, How difficult is it for you guys to to show uh, sort of a more cerebral games like these? Is is it kind of a challenge to you or do you tend to have people in who are already
2: interested in them? We've had what is a total Forty, thirty, fifty 40, 30, 50 meetings so far in these two days. Uh- actually there's been and it's been like rough on time i mean we have like 30 minutes left uh, 10 to 50 minutes per game to show someone we've had everyone from like hardcore fans of the games to some people that are not that familiar but then you have to do on a certain level but i noticed that there's a lot of people that know about the Hard so it's not been that hard to uh, present the game to uh, PC uh, writers.
1: Do you ever find yourself having to present it to someone who doesn't know anything about war games, who's just kind of stumbled into this appointment and is doing coverage on it, and they wouldn't know the first thing about a unit or a hex, or you don't know, use hexes, I guess, but they wouldn't know anything about war games? You ever find-
0: Earlier today I was sitting in a demo of a Naruto game don't know what that is. It's some sort of anime fighting thing. I was completely at sea. Okay, yeah. So...
2: Well, we've... I haven't had the impression that any <sighs> journalist on E3 had been clueless. Is that the nice word? <laughs> uh, yet? Uh, the, I mean... Uh, they could, they could have faked it to me, like I don't know But it, it felt like uh, a lot Obviously there were not everyone That has been playing of Iron or, or our previous games a lot That could ask like intricate questions But it was quite a lot of uh, I mean I've been at shows where we basically Had like meetings scheduled And it's like someone does not know What the strategy game is But right. not this show So
1: No, no, Kim. You must have the advantage uh, of having uh, like this is something that you don't have the advantage of, Johannes. You've got sort of like sexy graphics in your game of like ships and stuff. And I
0: Wait, look at that. How's that not sexy? (laughs) Hey, we love match. No,
1: right,
3: right. I I want to say about uh, you about Hearts of Iron game. I mean, okay, there's like units, icons, and and hexes or something, and numbers, 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 numbers. (laughs) I mean, that thing is like like pornography to some people. I mean, someone might get their kicks out of Naruto or something and some <laughs> people get their kicks out of this kind of shit. <laughs> and one, I'm one of the latter ones so and, and, one.
1: I, and I think Troy and I both are as well but, but you, you, you have to admit you probably do have a bit of an advantage to show somebody like this sexy picture of, of ships on a
3: on a Wait, maybe, I mean maybe in the screenshots for example yeah but uh, then ah. again if you look for example the, uh, the posters on the wall I mean Iron Cross uh, I don't know what caliber rounds those are but I mean That's hot stuff as well.
2: Actually, that poster is uh, part of the cover. The interesting story is that these are actually real props. Uh, It's a photo. We had some guy on... When we, made, uh, when we contacted the studio to make a cover for uh, the game, they were like, okay, we should have props and cool stuff. So they contacted the Army Museum in Stockholm. It turns out that the guy that was contacted was a of Iron fan and was happy to lend out the things so we could take a photo and make uh, a cool cover out of it. Wait, wait, so those are fake or real, you're saying? Uh, these are real. These are, these are items from, I think, it's from the Army Museum in Stockholm.
1: So describe uh, for people listening what we're looking at here. Describe the poster for us. Uh,
2: yeah, the poster is kind of like a map. Uh, I don't know what the map is depicting, but it looks like a World War II map. You have some uh, ammunition in front, and don't ask me about what type of stuff. I um, know nothing about weapons and guns. And there's an iron cross with uh, some things, some other medals, and some books behind. It looks kind of like... It's something taken from some officer's desk in the World War II bunker. My and is that the cover of the
1: game? Is that uh, what?
2: Uh, yeah, that's the, cover of, that's the cover of the game that huh. will be used. So we have uh, like the. What's it called? The mock box. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, so, uh, people
1: who own this game, go look at your box cover when you get it. Those are real medals, is what you're saying. Very good. <laughs>
2: actually we had to uh, actually we had to retouch a little thing on the uh, medal you can't have a swastika on the cover <laughs>
0: oh, <laughs> oh that's
2: right it's supposed, that's, yep. it's supposed to be in the middle of an iron cross but <laughs> you can't have that uh, on the things. you should have made little hearts on it like parts of iron <laughs> <laughs> that would have been funny.
3: <laughs> uh, actually, so then here's something. Uh, do you
1: ever get um, either requests for or questions about why certain things aren't? So, so let me just throw this out there: the the uh, the Holocaust is not depicted in any of the Hearts of Iron games.
0: In fact, you're not allowed to talk about.
2: You're not even allowed to ask for it on the Paradox forums. Is that true? Actually, uh, yeah, we banned that topic amongst others on the forums because. Wait, 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 Yet another, uh, every day was yet another neo-Nazi uh, German fanboy that wanted to uh, talk about, uh, oh, we, why isn't that in the game? So we basically banned that discussion from the forums, and we got rid of a lot of... Wow,
1: wow. Someone who runs a forum, I totally yeah, understand. And,
2: uh, and then we <laughs> then uh, the, the funnier thing was, like, uh, we had um, some uh, journalist, I don't know, from some Norwegian... Uh, magazine or so that was like, oh, why don't you have it? You're, is that some kind of like cover-up? And was really angry writing mails to our uh, another PR person, not Susanna, but uh, another one. The funny thing was that the other PR person is uh, Jewish. <laughs> so she was not happy about that discussion. <laughs> Uh,
1: Are there other facets of the war that uh, people request that aren't in there? Uh, I mean, I I think of Hearts of Iron as being this completely, almost absolutely comprehensive recreation of World War II. I mean, surely there are certain things also from the war that aren't in the game.
2: Uh, Yeah, we don't have like uh, uh, of war camps, we don't have slave labor and all that. I don't find that... uh, But but, but, but do you still have the Stalin purges? Yeah. It's like... That removes, like, the officers. It's kind of like contradictions in time. Are you joking, or are you really, is that really true? Yeah, are, yeah. yeah. The, the purge are there. It, if you elect the purge, you lose a bunch of, of your officers. Oh, it's like an event. I see. Yeah, right, event. right. It's like, okay, either you lose your... Uh, 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 those officers that was removed or you get some other penalties? Uh, to,
0: to dissent. If you don't purge a lot of dissent because yeah. now you have all these rabble-rousers. Well, then,
1: then I'm curious where where is the line between like what, uh, so why the purges but not for instance slave uh,
2: labor? It was originally what is illegal to have in games in certain countries. Uh, I see, right, right. So um... That's like okay. We do not want to get an 18 rating or a ban in Germany, Well,
0: you... because, because you're already been banned in, in, in the
2: People's Republic of, of China. You yeah. don't want to add one more country yeah, to the list. The... Well, t- two reasons why, uh, or several reasons. First of all, we sell a lot of games in Germany. You don't sell a lot of games in China for some weird reason <laughs> about piracy and prices and so Secondly, Germany's... Uh, Last time I checked, it might have changed in the last few minutes, but they're a democratic country. And the others, like China, is not a democracy, it's a dictatorship. And I, I'm i kind of proud to be banned in a dictatorship. <laughs> and and uh, I know that I'm not going to go on a vacation to China. I might not get let in. But
1: <laughs> Well, Kaden, okay, this raises the question of uh, what about certain Japanese abuses during World War II, specifically in China?
2: Uh, uh, do you model any of those? Is- uh, no none of those are us. but well. you can do strategic bombing of cities yeah you can do that but that's uh, that yeah that, yeah but that's not the war crime according to the Nuremberg Nuremberg trials <laughs> okay, <laughs> that, fair was the old, that was one <laughs> <the old laughs> that was nobody was tried for because uh, the allies did, did the same thing right. Right.
0: Well, uh, this has been a great show, very interesting. Uh, we will have links to the Paradox Forum uh, at the posts related to this podcast, a link to a video of East India Company in action, and other links we have to have. Uh,
1: will link to Bruce's discussion of whatever appropriate war games. I'm sure Bruce thinks this relates to war games. We'll link to
0: those. Bruce will have a rebuttal about why Stalin should not be represented in any game ever. Oh, I
1: wish Bruce was here to know that the purges were modeled in the, the game. Yeah. Have you uh, ever talked to Bruce Garrick, by the way? Uh, do, you, do you know him? He's another freelancer. He who's,
2: did he work for uh, WANA? Uh, yeah he's done some I might, for I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I recognize the name I might have met him at the one up summer but I'm really really bad at remembering who's who of uh... Well
1: here's what I would have loved for us to do originally is to have Bruce Garrick here to give him a couple of beers and then just turn him loose in a world war II discussion uh, it would be. It would have been something else. Not a pretty sight.
0: <laughs> um, what
1: are his opinions? He's, he's a very opinionated fellow, uh, and he, he's not afraid to be uh, abrasive. There you go. So that's me talking. He, about
0: but he is also he also hates people who, who, who fetishize the Wehrmacht. So <laughs> oh, yeah. that's one of his. <laughs> that,
2: that's one of the things I've learned from doing these games. Is that there are so many of them. Which is nice, because we sell a lot of money on the books. I get a a little bit scared with the amount of money. The
0: more money they spend on you, the less they spend on Nazi memorabilia. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, We'll have a regular podcast. Next week, we will talk about The Sims, which my wife has already installed. Sims 3, I will have probably a day and a half to play it. Tom has been playing it longer, and we will chat about that. Until next week, uh, stay strong, and please say a prayer for my sore feet. Say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.